welcome to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. Over the next hour, Ingrid and guests will discuss how historical trauma impacts the human experience and how we can move towards collective healing. Now, here is your host, Ingrid Cochran. Welcome, everyone. I'm Ingrid Cochran, your host for History, Culture, Trauma. I'm also the CEO of Faces Connection, and uh, my background is in historical trauma and collective trauma. Uh, and so this conversation that we'll have today and all future conversations in this podcast are really focused on the nuances of trauma, like historical context and our collective experiences. Uh, today, we're really going to focus on the news and media. And so we're really excited to have our first guest, um, which also happens to be the founder of PacesConnection.com. Uh, and so our discussion today is particularly exciting because this is our first um, our first podcast. So just to give us some background on Paces Connection, Paces Connection is a social network dedicated to the ACES study. Um, we at Paces Connection are dedicated to creating a better normal as we work together to solve our most intractable problems. And so we are a social network of about 55,000 followers now, and also about five, well, 450 communities um, that are really focused on addressing ACEs and fostering um, positive childhood experiences in their respective neighborhoods. So I'm very excited to welcome our first guest, um, Jane Stevens. And like I said before, she's the founder of Paces Connection, and she really has done a lot of work um, when it comes to the Paces movement. She is not only the founder of Paces Connection, but she's also the founder of the new site, Aces Too High. Um, this site focuses on the science of positive and adverse childhood experiences and how people are implementing health-centered resilience building practices based on that science. And the network's supporters include Blue Cross Blue Shield, the California Foundation, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the California Endowment, Genentech, uh, St. David's Foundation, the Lisa and John Pritzker Family Fund, and um, the George Sarlo Foundation. Um, Stevens has been a health science and technology journalist for about 35 years now. Her articles have appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, the Boston Globe, the LA Times, and the National Geographic Magazine. Um, she began reporting on Pace of Science in 2005 and has lived and worked in Kenya, Indonesia, and has been to the Antarctic three times on reporting fellowships. So thank you so much for welcoming my guest, Jane Stevens. Um, Jane, how are you doing today? Thank you, Ingrid. I'm doing great, and it's great to be here with you. Um, I'm so glad that we're talking about um, violence reporting today and crime reporting, um, and um, and I'm I'm looking forward to a, a nice uh, deep uh, conversation about this. Great. And it seems like today is the perfect day to talk about this. Why do you think today is a perfect day to talk about? Um, the news media and how it reports on violence? Well, um, obviously, I think we're all uh, glued to our um, uh, radio and TV and, you know, where we're getting the news about the invasion of Ukraine by the by Russia. And um, and so um, not only am I watching as a concerned citizen of the world, but I'm also watching as a um, uh, as a journalist saying, you know, gee, what could we do differently? What could do we do better? 
Um, this is going to be in context of the our approach for this hour, which is about local violence reporting. But uh, some of the same things happen on the world scale as they do in your local communities. So in particular for Ukraine, um, it's a, obviously a big event. Um, there's a lot of coverage from around the world. Um, what I've seen so far has been good um, from the sources that I go to, um, which are NPR and Washington Post, uh, New York Times, The Guardian, um, and um, and CNN, and uh, and so um, I think for the most part the coverage is is um, is great. Um, people are out there putting their lives on the lines to get us this coverage and um and i know that i as a journalist appreciate the that what they're going through um however um i think that there's one area where the news media could have been doing a lot better job and i'm hoping that as a result of this invasion they might do something different about how they're reporting about putin um, because to, to date, they've been reporting Putin's words as facts. And uh, he does the same thing that Trump did, which is lie um, very clearly. And, um, and we need to uh, call that out whenever it happens. Uh, and I think that that's, that's really important. Yeah, you make an excellent point about the media's inability to uh, address non-factual information in their in their reporting. Uh, this, in the past, um, is nothing new to our media. However, in today's era where we can fact check uh, instantly, um, it becomes more and more problematic, and it, it does actually fuel a lot of our issues around. Um, conspiracy theories and things of this nature that we've seen become um, more of an issue in in the uh, COVID-19 era. Um, so you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the coverage of, of violence. Um, let's talk a little more about that. Do you have examples uh, of how there has been um, poor coverage of, of violence news reporting? Sure. The uh, it, it might be useful to go to the history of crime reporting and see how this came to be. Essentially, we have not changed how we report crime since the 1890s. Uh, that's really a sad state of affairs, but it's true. Uh, it's all about the individual story. It's all about the unusual. It's never about the usual uh, at least in local violence reporting. It's man bites dog instead of dog bites man. There's no context. Um, and there's a little information about how violence affects the entire community. So for example, say take murder. Um, there's gonna be tons of coverage about a, uh, a white girl that's been murdered um, and especially if she's wealthy. Um, and why, um, and not um, a person of color or in, indigenous. Uh, we are seeing that now uh, very consistently. Um, but on the other hand, for like run-of-the-mill violence, uh, you're going to see TV coverage, local TV news coverage of black youth who show, shoot other black youth. That's almost a given. Uh, and yet, all the data show that it's 
uh, it's more white people who commit crimes and and uh, shoot other people than blacks do. So it's it's very um, one sided. It's uh, it's not. Uh, it doesn't give you a, a good idea of what's happening in the community at all. Yeah, I think, especially around the issue of context, um, when it comes to news media and their coverage of violence, um, there is sometimes concerted effort to, um, you know, leave out context. But then, um, I always like to think, or at least a very smart person I've talked to in the past said, you know, don't assume malice. Sometimes it's okay to assume ignorance. So. Um, it is very important to include this context, especially historical context. Even when we think about what's going on in, in, in Ukraine today um, and the um, response to it, right now a lot of people are in fear, when, especially when it comes to um, nuclear powers and things of that nature. Uh, and that's all due to the collective trauma that we've had in the past due to the Cold War, um, due to uh, Chernobyl. And so uh, it it really takes, um, it's really important to include that historical context in reporting to show where in the past, um, where we have had um, issues where we can bring those solutions forward to in the present time. Um, to help younger people to understand that this is secular, that there are um, very clear ties to the past before they were even born that are that are that can be brought forth today to help younger people to be able to make those connections. Um, but yeah, I, that historical context and also the lack of discussing uh, collective traumas is, is definitely lacking in our news media. Um, I know that you did bring up issues around um, race and um, issues around gender, uh, whose uh, violence is more susceptible, acceptable than others, and 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 basically what's driving um, news media coverage around violence, and it tends to be ratings. Uh, and so um, when we when you brought up. Um, issues around um, news media coverage of um, white women, especially wealthy white women um, being murdered or kidnapped and things of that nature and how um, that tends to dominate our news media. While um, the statistics are very clear that indigenous and Native American women as well as um, African-American women are experiencing extremely high rates of violence uh, and do not get the same amount of coverage uh, and definitely uh, do not get the support of media, especially when their perpetrators are, are not known. So as we're you know, covering um, violence reporting in search of or in search of answers and um, to make sure that there's uh, justice brought to families. Uh, and so I definitely appreciate that that nuanced conversation around that. Any other examples of how news media is getting it wrong? Um, there's not enough data um, that's uh, associated with violence reporting. And what I mean by that is from the following example. So um, several years ago, I went down to San Jose and I had um, I, I looked at three months of reporting in the San Jose Mercury News and found what they reported versus what actually happened in the community. And at that time, Santa Clara County 
in California had a really um, amazing uh, district attorney who was all about domestic violence and trying to get people to understand it and that it was how prevalent it was. She was amazing. And she had gathered all this data. So this is what this is what um, I found. So in that three month period, there were nine, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, there were nine homicides and the San Jose Mercury News covered all of them because it's a, re a relatively small area. <clears throat> there were 966 aggravated assaults um, and they co covered only five of those mm -hmm. and none were uh, domestic violence related, even though 90% of the aggravated assaults are domestic violence. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. 966, only reporting five, and then none of those were domestic violence. Um, with rape, uh, there were 86 rapes, and they only reported five. So with their reporting, they were not providing uh, a, um, an accurate picture of what was happening in their communities. We did the same thing in Los Angeles and in Sacramento and found exactly the same types of numbers. It, it was um, really disappointing, I have to say. And I took this to the uh, San Jose Mercury News and we had a meeting with editors and reporters and they were aghast. And, um, and they, they uh, ended up doing some some domestic violence reporting. Yeah, I think this brings up kind of what we talked about before, how how driven by ratings uh, this type of reporting is and the intersection around race and around gender. And when we think about domestic violence and rape, obviously these crimes tend to have their, um, their, their victims are generally women. Um, not only that, but there's so much compelling research that domestic violence is closely related to so many other issues. So you would think that there would be an investment in uh, not only you know, collecting data, but addressing domestic violence as a public health issue as it bleeds into it, you know, statistics around um, child abuse, um, active shooters, um, you know, all of these other issues that are closely tied to domestic violence. So I think this is extremely compelling. Yeah, it's what the uh, the end of the story is for the Mercury News and their coverage of domestic violence is they actually got an award for it. The reporters who were doing the series uh, of stories about domestic violence said that they wanted to do a beat about it because of just what you said. It has it ripples out to so many other types of crimes. And the editor said no. And the reason they said no, I think for newspapers, it has less to do with ratings um, and circulation than it does with, uh, that's the way it's always been, which I think is so ironic since journalism can't live without change. You know, that's our bread and butter. Um, but, um, but the journalism community just, doesn't want to change. And in, in, in the face of not just what I did, but there's a lot of research that bears out what you were talking about, that, that, that violence has a ripple effect and, and uh, our domestic violence has a ripple effect and we should pay, be paying a, a lot more attention to it. Yeah. 
I think I think that this is a both and situation. So if I'm thinking um, that the, the the victims, the demographic of the victims is really the issue and, and you're also saying that it's really deeply entrenched in systemic issues of this is the way that it's always been. And so that brings out a historical context that ties both of those together that women, especially women of color, have always been um, not considered of value in our society. So the way that we are structuring our news reporting and you know other things across the board, other institutions kind of intersect with around this issue. Um, so I think that that is very interesting. Um, we're about to go to break shortly. So is there anything that um, you would like to talk about before we go up to our first break? Well, I think that the, um, uh, that if we paid more attention to this and, um, and there are some uh, news organizations that are beginning to wake up to this, and I can, I'll go into more detail about that in the, in the next segment. But um, as, as pessimistic as I have been about the news media changing, especially since I did this research in um, uh, 20 years ago, uh, that this is, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will change in the next 20. I am too. Thanks. Um, so we'll take a short break now um, as we get ready for our second segment. And we'll talk about, you know, the news media and how it's missing the point when it comes to violence coverage. So thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. Welcome back. Again, this is Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection, and this is History Culture Trauma. Uh, Again, we are with Jane Stevens, founder and publisher at Paces Connection. Um, Jane, when we left off break, we were talking about um, really how domestic violence and um, other issues around gender and violence have been underreported or not really considered in data. 
Um, so I wanted to kind of jump back into other communities, others, you know, other groups of people that have been impacted. Um, and so I want to ask you first, um, what does this mean for different communities, especially communities of color, uh, as we look at um, news media's coverage of, of violence? So I think violence reporting goes hand in hand with the other myths perpetuated by the news media. And those include the myth, myth that black people commit most crimes, that neighborhoods of color are dangerous, that black and brown people aren't active in the local business community, that most black and brown people are poor, and it's their fault that they don't have jobs. Um, and it's uh, just those are enough to set your teeth on edge. Uh, because if you, if you look at our communities, all those things are completely false, but that's by the virtue of its reporting, that's what the media comes across in the message. And the thing is, I don't think if you talk with any reporter that they would say, oh, I'm intentionally doing this, or this is what I want to do. But again, as your point earlier about the system, this is the system that we've been living with for more than 100 years. And, and it's really, really time to change. Yeah, I think this is extremely important because, as we talked about before, that historical context is so important. So when we're thinking about African-American communities, there has long been a narrative of violence around African-Americans in our in our country. Um, this is uh, rooted, obviously, in, in slavery. Uh, when um, a lot of the justification for the enslavement of Africans was around um, what we would call their violent nature or the narrative at the time that they were, along with indigenous people, considered savages. And so I think that's important when we think about uh, how they're reported upon today. And again, it comes back to that intersection of kind of how it's always been and then the roots of the issues around how our country views certain people, um, and how our systems are tied to those views. Uh, so um, how did you get um, interested in news media? Um, well, I've been a health science and technology journalist for decades, um, and I covered the epidemiology of violence off and on since the CDC declared it to be an epidemic, and we're treating it the same way that they did um, smoking and smoking prevention and uh, vehicle crashes and their profession. But as I was delving into this, I realized that my profession was part of the problem um, with the exact things that I've been talking about so far, how we covered uh, individual crimes, but not the uh, cumulative effect of violence on communities. And nor were we educating people about violence, the picture of violence in their communities. Uh, we were just uh, doing a really great job on individual crimes, but but uh, that wasn't providing any great information, any good information at all beyond that particular crime. Uh, so I wanted to do something about it. Okay. What did that look like? What were, what were you able to accomplish? What did you do? 
Well, um, a little bit and then not much. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll explain that. Uh, I worked with a a wonderful woman at Berkeley Media Studies Group, Lori Dorfman, who leads that public health research organization. And we launched the Reporting on Violence Project in 1997 and expanded it to interested newsrooms. Um, We, um, we, uh, I I guess um, we did a handbook and that handbook uh, was distributed to nearly a thousand journalists and a hundred newsrooms. I wrote the handbooks and Lori edited them. The immediate response was great. Uh, We did workshops in all the major news organizations in California, and then some in other parts of the the United States as well. So um, I know that you said before that nothing has really changed. So with those efforts early on, what was the end result? How, How did that resolve? How did you move forward? Well, things didn't change the way I'd hoped. A few news organizations included a few contextual questions in their reporting from time to time. Uh, one even won a, um, a Pulitzer Prize for reporting they did about drunk driving fatalities. Um, uh, but nobody uh, uh, included the approach that I wanted, this public health approach into crime reporting. Uh, the as I mentioned earlier, the San Jose Mercury News did a great series on domestic violence, but uh, the editors said, no, we don't want to do that. And so that was dead. And they went back to their old ways. So why do you think there's pushback on the public health approach? And in, in, in was there or was there pushback? Um, there was. It was, be, it, was a, it was the public health approach and it was data, which... Uh, the media has gotten over the data resistance, but they haven't gotten over the public health approach resistance. And all that is to me is providing context for the reporting you're doing. When the first uh, edition of our reporting on handbook came in, I came out, I did a, a presentation for about 30 journalists uh, that were part of a fellowship. And um, <laughs> I, I was just stunned about I thought that everybody would would understand and grok this and use it right away. Um, of course, I thought the same thing about pace of science, and that hasn't happened either. Um, so about of those 30, uh, about half of them got it and said, this is a good idea. And then the other half said, you're being an advocate. You, we can't do this. And I, I had to stand back and say, an advocate, an advocate for <clears throat> for what? No violence? You mean there's advocacy for more violence? You know, I just I didn't understand that that piece of it at all. Um, what else did you suggest that also hasn't taken off since then? So one of the other things that I suggested was that I, that was, as I said, in the late 90s, early 2000s, when news organizations were just getting into putting their content on the Internet. And I'd already embraced that and was was teaching that the, at the University of California, Berkeley Graduate School of Journalism. 
Um, so I came up with a, a way of setting up a, an online uh, violence reporting section. And, uh, the, you know, journalists could still do their, their news, but on this violence reporting section, there would be data such as, you know, how many domestic violence um, uh, um, reports were um, called in last, last night. And it's, it's usually a ton. Um, and start accumulating that data in a way to provide context and then to encourage journalists to say, gee, this is really an issue. How can we do something about it? Because the community, if they have that information at their fingertips, then they're going to be the ones who say, why aren't you doing something about it? Just like the um, uh, many indigenous, indigenous women are doing something about, you know, calling out the, the number of murders that are happening to um, uh, indigenous women and aren't being covered at all. So it's putting it in context. And um, there was pushback on that as well. They said, well, uh, you know, there's no reason to do this. To do this, and can you give me examples of other parts of our reporting that do this? And and sports reporting does this all the time. If you don't get your your information in context down to the most minutia, people are going to complain about it. They want they want the uh, they want the big headlines, but they also want the context, and they also want the history or access to the history. Um, and then business does the same thing. So uh, it's not just, you know, one stock that that you cover that has the most increase in a day. It's the entire market and what the averages are and, and context at the Yazoo. So we can do this with, with violence reporting, no problem. We have the data locally um, we can improve that we have the effects already of of uh, violence on the community and it costs a ton i mean it's about a third to a half of um, any community's uh, um, economic uh, status as far as um, uh, their budgets go uh, are can be attributed to violence reporting yeah this is extremely interesting i think it's also very interesting that the two that stood out as having the ability to use that context is sports and business and so uh, and it makes me think about who are who is benefiting from that and who are who's the audience for for sports and business so I think that helps us to think through you know, why there's pushback, why there's less interest for sure. Uh, and I really appreciate the discussion around the context because um, in my experience, um, I have uh, provided consulting to private hospitals and things of that nature. And one of the, one of the um, expertise they really rely on for me is my ability to translate what the data is saying. So what does it really, you know, we have the numbers, but what are we saying with these numbers? And so that's so important to be able to say um, beyond just data, what is the data telling us? What's the story that the data is telling us? Um, so I think that context is extremely important, especially again, as we bring in 
the history um, and our collective experiences and our, you know, just our overall beliefs and values and how that has really impacted this field of, um, of news media in general, especially around violence. Um, there's so much there there when it comes to this intersection around race and gender and, and power um, and how it's reflected in our news media. Um, what do you think about that? And um, what is kind of the way forward? I uh, think that with newsrooms beginning to change um, and become more diverse, that we're starting to see some changes. Not enough, and I'll go into that in the next segment, um, but there is some. Uh, and, um, you know, when, when the San Jose Mercury News said that they weren't going to have a domestic violence reporting beat, uh, it was all white, um, older editors that made that decision. And and the people who were reporting this and were on the ground and seeing its effects and seeing how it rippled out all the way into juvenile crime and child welfare and on and on and on and how much of the of the local budget it took, uh, all these ripple, all these ripple effects took, um, they were extremely disappointed these three women that did this series because uh, they had really shown that domestic violence affected the community in ways that the community wasn't aware and and there were people already doing something about it and they could have joined forces to make a big difference in the community yeah i think that this also um, gives us uh, a lot of things to think about when it comes to how we can use media as a tool to heal. So if we were to get on board with kind of this um, very clear campaign around um, reconciliation and truth telling, um, that it would open up our understanding of ourselves. It would make us, especially in this current time, a little less polarized to do this type of work. Um, why do you think the media is resistant um, to talking through these issues, um, especially around our this current climate where we need to be a little bit more nuanced and talk about um, the cultural context and historical context of, of violence in this country and political? Um, I think that um, one thing that needs to change is um, the uh, our understanding of where the news media has been and where the opportunity of where it can go. Um, the way that most journalists are taught about covering violence or even actually even covering any story is that they say journalism is conflict. And if that were true, I would be out of a job as a science, health and technology writer because most of my work is not conflict related. It's um, it's informational. It's uh, it's um, it's it's really delving deep into explanatory journalism. Uh, so it's uh, it, it's a, a with a change in how people are taught about this. I think that there can be some changes in the media, and also I'll be talking about what happened, what's happening with Gannett, 
um, um, a um, newspaper organization and there are 250 organizations, they are making some small changes uh, that I think are have some possible have some possibility of actually making change. And that's going hand in hand with the increased diversity in the newsroom. Yeah, it seems like the key to this is having people um, in the field to be able to make the connections that haven't been made in the past uh, and doing so by falling back on their own personal experiences, which then means that diversity is extremely valuable. So um, if we're only telling white male stories, then um, then this allows for there to be huge gaps in how we understand complex issues around gender, around race. Um, and, you know, and this really kind of connects to the discussion around critical race theory and how it kind of is dividing the country at this time around what stories do we want to tell? And um, especially to our children, apparently. Uh, and so we'll kind of jump into what those solutions are as we move into the next segment. And so we're going to take a short break and start our third segment and talk more about, you know, the news media and how it is not doing a great job of violence coverage and how that intersects around issues of race and gender and other, you know, more nuanced, complex issues in our in our in our nation and reflecting upon our culture. So um, please join us again for our, our third segment. We're going to go ahead and take another break. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to History, Culture, and Trauma with Ingrid Cochran. If you have questions for Ingrid or her guests or want to share your story, join us on the show at 866-472-5791. That's 866-472-5791. Now, back to the show. Here again is Ingrid Cochran. Welcome back to History, Culture, Trauma. Um, This is your host, Ingrid Cochran, CEO of Paces Connection. Um, Today's guest is actually the founder of Paces Connection, Jane Stevens, and she's sharing with us 
um, how she became interested in violence reporting and how that led to her founding um, Paces Connection. Um, when we left off, we were really, we were really talking about uh, her past attempts to uh, integrate public health approach into um, violence reporting and how those efforts were unsuccessful. Um, so, um, Jane, please tell us, you know, have there been any um, any progress recently or anything that you think stands out to you in the field currently? So um, I do, Gannett is a newspaper organization, has 250 or so newsrooms across the country. And they, over the last couple of years, have actually started making some change. And the reason this happened was there's a guy named Hollis Towns, uh, who's the regional editor for Gannett. And he, st he was looking at his story budgets uh, on his papers, and he noticed something that bothered him. And this is his, his quote. I saw more and more reactive crime stories that didn't connect the dots. I saw more people, black and brown folks who look like me, splattered across all of our front pages and on our websites, and no context offered for what happened and no follow-up offered after the story had run. So they got together with a couple, or he got together, uh, together with a couple of other people who had made the same, uh, or noticed the same thing. And so they put into effect a bunch of changes that I think are a really good first step. Um, and I'll, I'll name them to you. I mean, some are, are horrendous in my book that it took them so long to do this. Um, they removed the mugshot galleries, uh, the photos of those arrested in the community that police departments used to provide to news organizations for free. And I just thought that was horrible. You know, it was just the arrest. It wasn't even people who'd been convicted. Yeah. Um, and then um, they uh, were no longer relying on police blotters for individual crime stories and instead focusing on trends. So, for example, uh, instead of just focusing on individual pedestrian fatalities, they looked at that in context of uh, why they were important and um, what the what the data was showing them and why they were happening um, with a an eye to prevention. Um, so <clears throat> the other thing they started doing was providing context uh, so that if a child is being was left in a hot ca a car and died, they would talk about how many incidents like this have happened over the uh, over the year and what they were what the community was doing to prevent it. Um, and also what this does is it gives the community a, an idea of whether that's a frequent occurrence or just something that happens in, in a blue moon, you know, so that so you can understand if there's something that can be done and start doing something about it or something that just, you know, happens. Um, using non-police sources to report crime. So they would, instead of just relying on the police officer for information, they would go to neighbors, they would go to other people involved in the crime to give us some context, but also round it out because uh, 
you know, there may be um, information that actually puts a completely different uh, um, um, look at what what the crime was about rather than just getting the police's um, information, as we have seen very often over the last few years. And then following up on on a particular story, not just doing it once, but seeing, you know, if there was a domestic violence incident and you're reporting on it, what happened to that family? That family is obviously in trouble. Um, how can is it? How's the community helping them instead of just letting it go? Yeah, I think that um, some of those solutions are definitely um, really kind of rooted in, you know, seeing everyone within your community as part of the community. Um, and so the follow-up means that, you know, people are interested. Um, it means that you want to know what can be done to to address these issues. Um, but even, you know, um, I think that when you talked about, you know, connecting the dots, that that really makes, you know, it makes an impact for me because, you um, that kind of intersects with what you said before around this kind of the the way that we've always done it. And so when it comes to, especially local crime, um, there's very clear narrative in our country around um, morality when it comes to criminals or criminal behavior, um, morality when it comes to race. And so if um, we're reporting around um, issues, there is no, there's a lack of follow-up because of of an issue of dehumanization. Um, that um, we're just really kind of stoking fear through our reporting um, and that this is, you know, at the root of things, the reason why we're, we're reporting. In, in, in the past, the whole point was really to stoke fear around certain groups um, and to kind of justify their treatment through this reporting um, and how that kind of still lingers in, in the way that we do things and how important it is um, to really give that context and and talk through what it means to have a community where everyone within the community is humanized, uh, that their stories are told, that it doesn't just stop at um, the the report around a, a, a criminal offense or um, a murder or rape, that there is a very clear picture drawn and lots of dots connected so that we can see how these issues arise, what are the solutions, if any, and then how it paints a picture of our community as a whole, not just the black community or not just um, this is an issue of criminals and you know that kind of thing, that narrative that kind of sticks um, with people. Um, in our country. Um, and so I definitely am, am feeling like, um, you know, there, enough hasn't been done. Um, and so um, do you have any suggestions around solutions uh, when it comes to the news media? Do I ever? <laughs> and I've been touting these for years. Um, so the first thing is to essentially have that violence reporting section that I was talking about. You know, scan the types of violence and crime in your community to understand what's affecting the um, community the most um, in the trauma that they cause, as well as the economic impact. Uh, So uh, that's actually an easy 
thing to do that that doesn't require a lot of reporting um, there are actually news organizations that do have data reporters now and this would be a great thing for them i think i think and then the um, um the when you do that you'd actually be reporting on the most uh types of of um, violence that actually affects the community rather than reporting the the um, sort of outlying violence that that most uh, is mostly reported. Um, and the other part of that is to show that there are and there this is proven and out there um, that there are ways of preventing the violence. Um, but if the community doesn't have that information, they're not going to do it. Um, the um, I, th I think that, that those are the two most important things that that could be done so far. Uh, but there are uh, a couple of others. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I also, you know, coming back to that, you know, how we humanize um, people in in the news media, I think is important as well. One example that I always uh, think about when we talk about reporting, especially uh, reporting on um, violence, is uh, the the depiction of uh, black youth in in our media, and um, especially um, it's generally around gang violence, but really any violence. Um, and so this narrative that it is uh, a cultural issue, um, that it's a parenting issue, um, um, and that kind of sticks in our media. So when we report out on um, violence committed by Black youth, it typically leaves uh, a lot of gaps <laughs> and a lot of unconnected dots around um, issues of race. Uh, it tends to stop with um, parenting practices or um, culture. Um, this very clear narrative that you know um, black youth have a, a culture of violence or culture of criminality. Uh, and so no one really wants to talk about, well, where does this culture of violence come from? Or what is it around parenting that is uh, creating this? And so there's no there's no root cause. And so obviously uh, racism and the treatment of African-Americans in this country from its origins to today would definitely um, constitute a lot of issues around parenting. Um, but, but more importantly, um, being very clear about uh, what trauma, PTSD, complex PTSD looks like um, in, in the real world. And so um, why is the narrative around Black youth not one of PTSD as opposed to culture? What do you think about that? And how does that tie to, you know, how we how journalists can use pace of science in their reporting? It's it's. Um intricately connected because if you don't go to the root of why these things are happening uh, you'll never be able to prevent what's happening so the other thing that i'm i'm adamant about is that all journalists receive uh, training in pace of science the positive and adverse childhood experiences science and what that would do, it, it would open their eyes, I believe, to seeing 
Oh, there there are other reasons why there are um, kids who are having troubles. Uh, and it goes to the family and it goes to the community and goes to systems. It's all of those things. And if you don't report on all of those things in a contextual way, you won't ser- be serving the community. And most journalists really do want to serve the community and provide them accurate information and information that's useful and that they can they can apply to their lives or their their communities. Um, but it makes a difference in the overall reporting approach as well as individual reporting. So, for example, if you if you take a um, and this was a true story. A mother and her toddler lived in an apartment and the mother's brother moved in and he he brought uh, drugs into the apartment. Child welfare got uh, wind of this and they moved in and they they said to the mother, we're taking your daughter, your four-year-old daughter away, your three-year-old daughter away, and, um, and you can't have her back until you find another place to live. Well, a, a, a pace of science approach would be um, having uh, the child welfare department uh, say, we'll find you a new place to live or we'll help you get your your brother out instead of ripping the kid from the mother's arms and causing trauma to both of them. Uh, and that should be something that the reporters ask about. Why did you, child welfare department, take that approach instead of instead of helping the family? So that's the kind of thing that, that can be done. Um, The other thing is that if reporters understand their own paces from their childhood, they have a better understanding of why they react the way they do and whether they're really doing um, uh, appropriate reporting or not. Yeah, yeah, that that is definitely uh, indicating that there's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen in the field and definitely learning of paces science um, across the board. And um, I think that it is so important, especially as media is so influential to our society, um, that we, you know, they're really gatekeepers of culture. And so it is very important that they have trained in pace of science. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really at the end of our first episode. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much for sharing the message of Paces Science. Thank you so much for founding Paces Connection. Um, and I would like to thank our audience for joining us for our first session. Next um, week, we will be back and we'll begin um, Women's History Month. So please join us as we move into um, our next focus uh, for the podcast. And thank you so much for joining us. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening to the show today. We hope we have helped to give you a better understanding of trauma and how historical trauma affects the human experience. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. We wish you a beautiful week.